Hello there, everybody, and welcome to episode number 36 of Opposites React. Today is uh, Wednesday, September the 30th, and this will be a strange podcast today because this is the first time I'll be doing it by myself. Uh, unfortunately, my or my podcast partner, my wife Sarah, is not available tonight, but I don't want to break tradition here, so we're gonna, I'm going to do the podcast by myself and uh, hopefully get through it <laughs> as best we can. Uh, it's going to be weird not having someone to bounce you know questions and ideas off of, but I'll do my best to makes me entertainment for you guys. Um, I I, did, I had a couple of topics for this week, but I did want to discuss them with Sarah, so I'll put that off for another week. So today, I think I'll just, well, you know, start with the usual recap of of what I've been up to, what I've done the last week or so. Um, I know one thing I do need to go back and, and finally catch up on is uh, when season two of The Boys came out on Amazon Prime, I think that was a... F- about a month ago um i watched the first three episodes right away because the first three episodes released all at once and then they were going to release in a staggered format every week after that one episode per week right so i believe now they are they're up to six episodes now that have aired so far with another one i believe coming out this friday so i need to go back and watch the episodes four through six i heard it really picks up um like episodes one to three were good three especially but um it definitely was doing a lot of setup for this season, whereas I feel like four to six, from what I've heard, really pays off a lot or, or leads some more, more interesting developments, especially with uh, with Homelander and uh, and the the other character for episode six that uh, that was re- reintroduced, I guess, was the lamp lighter. So that sounds interesting, but I will get around to watching that hopefully for this weekend, so I can talk about it next week. Uh, I also watched a well, I should say rewatch a older movie last week um i got a few movies for my birthday uh blu-ray movies uh i got uh die hard die hard with a vengeance and uh and the other one was called backdraft backdraft is um i don't have the year i think it's either 1990 or 1992 i can't remember the exact year it came out but that's a ron howard film with um Kurt Russell and William William Baldwin, Scott Glenn, Robert De Niro, Donald Sutherland. Really good cast. Um, and I, I remember seeing that movie, oh gosh, how many years ago was it? Maybe four or five years, I think, the first time I, I, I watched it. And I uh, really liked it. Uh, and uh, so I asked for that for my birthday on Blu-ray because I remember thinking it would probably be a good-looking movie on Blu-ray. I remember a lot of the, exp- uh, the fires and the explosion scenes in the movie were, were pretty good. I think it was mostly practical effects. It was pretty, pretty good-looking. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good... Uh, feels like a 90s film not just because of like you know special effects or or the uh it's just more about the dialogue and the music choices and stuff like that makes it feel like a 90s film but it's really good like really good performances um uh, probably about around two a little over two hours long doesn't but the pacing's good doesn't feel like it drags at all i definitely recommend it if you've never seen it before there's not too many movies out there about firefighters and this one sort of has like a i don't want to call it a twist there's uh there's like a subplot going on with someone using their knowledge of fire and explosions and stuff to, to target some people for some like assassinations, like political assassinations. Those are some pretty good subplots going on in the film too. Um, I haven't got around to watching, like I said, the, I mean, it's been years since I've seen Die Hard and, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, but uh, I really want to, I, I wasn't ever a big fan of Die Hard 2. That's why I didn't ask for that one for my birthday. Cause that one was not um, directed by John McTiernan. I believe that was Rennie Harlan who did Die Hard 2. <clears throat> and there was a bit of a drop off in quality from Die Hard 2. Uh, one is obviously the best, but Die Hard with a Vengeance is, is definitely a uh, sort of a, a cult favorite. It definitely holds up. Some people like it actually like it better than Die Hard 1. That might be a bit much to ask. I think, you know, the whole dynamic in Die Hard, just with the 
the setting of the Nakatomi Tower and, you know, Alan Rickman and Hans Gruber, that stuff was all great in Die Hard 1. And Jeremy Irons is great in Die Hard with a Vengeance as a villain, um, but uh, not doesn't quite hold up as well as I think the first Die Hard does. But still, really good film. I look, look forward to watching that in the next few weeks. Not to mention, I also, I think I alluded to this in a prior um, podcast a few weeks ago, but I am going to try and tackle some some scary movies for Halloween. So starting tomorrow, I guess, on October 1st, see how many horror, some thriller, psychological films I can watch for uh, for the month of October. Probably won't be one a day. That's, that's a lot for me to fit in with the rest of the stuff I want to do and watch. But uh, I'll try and watch, you know, maybe at least 12 or 15 movies. We'll see. I have a short list on my phone of ones that I found on Netflix and Amazon Prime that I'll um I'll go back to in the next couple of weeks and see see what I can get around to watching. Um, but yeah, so anyway, since I really didn't really want to do the topics I was going to talk about today, because like I said, Sarah isn't available, then I'm just going to do a brief, um, well, maybe not brief, since I have to fill some time here on the podcast, but uh, I'll do a a little run through of uh, one of my favorite, my one of my personal favorite films. Um, ever like if I had to make a top ten list, I'd really have to sit down and think hard about a top ten. There's so many movies, even in the last decade, that I could easily make a top ten. And then you know, you figure going back over the past thirty, forty years, whatever, how many more would I have in my top ten? But for me, one that definitely stands out as one that, um, even though it's uh, movie be sixteen years old at this point, so it came out in two thousand four, but um, still holds up really well for me on rewatches. Like, doesn't it's not a film that feels dated at all. Um. Because of you know the the whole plot and, and the the dynamic between the the main character and the villain, but for me, one of my top favorite films of all time is um, 2004 film called Collateral, and that is the Michael Mann directed uh, film with um, Jamie Fox and Tom Cruise in the main roles. Jamie Fox playing Max. Um, Oh man, I'm trying to remember. See, off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember the last names. The last names really aren't that important, I don't think. Jamie Foxx plays Max, who's a cab driver, and uh, Tom Cruise plays Vincent, who you learn is a like an assassin hitman who was hired to uh, for one evening to go around Los is it Los Angeles. I believe it was Los Angeles. Go around Los Angeles and kill kill a bunch of people that were targeted for assassinations, political reasons. But um, anyway, yeah, this film. Um, I mean, where do you even start? The you know the the cast is is phenomenal in my opinion that it's it's one of Jamie Fox and Tom Cruise's best roles possibly one of Tom Cruise's best roles ever in my opinion because it's one of the rare times we get to see him play a villain but if not not the type of villain that's you know he's not all evil he's not, you know like twirling his mustache kind of evil he's he's more he's very nuanced he's a very complicated character in this film and there's a lot of times where you feel like you're on his side and a lot of times. The film wants you to think, okay, this guy's really, really bad. Like you should hate him, but he's just so darn charming, you know. Like how, how can you hate the guy? And uh, but uh, you really empathize with with Jamie Foxx's character throughout the film. He's your your, pro, your your typical protagonist, your good character, trying to do the right thing, but uh, trying to balance that line between not wanting to, you know, take off the killer, but uh, try and stop him from from hurting people. So. I'm not going to get into really any deep spoilers in this one because I really do think if you haven't seen this film, you really need to watch it for your first time with no uh, no hard spoilers, especially in the second half of the film. Like I said, I've already set up the basic premise of the film, which you can get just by reading the synopsis on any of the on any of the article websites. But um, yeah, Max is his cab driver. He picks up a passenger, Vincent, the Tom Cruise character, and then he learns... You know, initially he thinks he's just I'm just another fare for the night. We're right? just gonna drive this guy around, 
I mean, the interesting thing is that when Vincent gets into the cab at the beginning of the film, I believe Max picks him up right outside the LAX, like outside the uh, the airport, because uh, Vincent just flew in for this job. And uh, so when Max picks him up and, and Vincent gets in his car and he, you know, he says, how much would it cost to rent the car for the night? And, you know, and Max is like, oh, we can't do that. You know, it's one fare at a time. And I think, I believe, you know, Vincent flashes like $500, you know, $500 bills. And he just says, you know, how about this for the night? And they says, plus another like, you know, 500 if you uh, get me back to LAX and I don't have to chase the plane, right? So basically $1,000 a night for Jamie Foxx, which would be much more than he would make us for the normal fares. So he's enticed and he, he goes along with it. He says, okay, I'll, I'll drive this guy along for his jobs. I think he had to make four or five stops. I can't remember exactly how many stops Vincent had to make for his mission. But uh, early on in the film, um, Max realizes that like what Vincent's true intention is because Max is uh, sitting outside of a, uh, he drops Vincent off at an apartment apartment complex or something and Max is sitting outside eating a, you know, eating a sandwich in his car waiting for Vincent to come back out and Vincent ends up shooting a guy and the guy falls off like a the third story of the building or wherever, falls off the balcony and lands right on on, uh, on Max's cab, on the hood of the cab. And then, you know, Max gets out to see what happened and then Vincent comes back down and that's when Max realizes that Vincent had, had shot the guy and killed the guy. So now he's sort of like trapped in this cat and mouse game of, you know, Vincent could have just shot him on the spot, but he's like, oh, and I, I, you know, I don't want to draw too much attention. Plus I need this guy to try me around some more. So I'm just going to make him... I'm basically going to make him my hostage for the night and he's going to drive me around and I'm going to finish off the rest of my assassinations. And then I'm guessing the plan would, would be by the end of the night for, for him probably to just kill Max as well. So there's no witnesses, but um, you know, Max is a smart character and he has other plans for that, which like I said, that's the second half. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but the thing I love too about this film, I mean, there's so many things too about it. The soundtrack is amazing. The cinematography, but for me really, it just comes down to the, the writing. The dialogue is fantastic. And it's interesting too because the the it's a, it's only one person who did the screenplay. His name's Stuart Beatty. I don't know if it's Beatty or Beatty. He's a um, uh, what is he? He's an Australian screenwriter. Um, but it's kind of weird if you look at his his history, his filmography. There's not a lot of great films there. Like it, it's almost this feels what this one really feels like he caught lightning in a bottle with this script. Like I'm not saying he's he's a bad screenwriter or anything, but if you look at his filmography, I mean he's. Okay, so what does it say here? He wrote the story, so not really the screenplay, but he wrote the story for um, for Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, and then that was in 03, and then right after that, did the screenplay for Collateral in 04. But then you look at some of the other films that he wrote, um, you know, Derailed, that was like a Clive Owen, Jennifer Aniston thriller, which was okay. Um, 30 Days of Night, I actually do like that film. That's sort of like a zombie film. I believe it's based on a graphic novel. So it's probably not like an original work, but it's more of an adapted thing. But he did a good job on that. But um, like Australia, I believe that's the uh, that's that Nicole Kidman, Hugh Jackman film, Boz Luhrmann, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, I, Frankenstein. Uh, I don't even know what these other ones are. Deadline, Gallipoli, and Danger Close. So, I mean, his filmography is a little all over the place. But like I said, really for me, I think, and I mean too, like... Um, was it nominated for... I, I know Collateral was nominated for a bunch of screenplay awards. I don't believe it was nominated for an Oscar, which is a shame, but it was nominated for at least four other major writing awards in the media. So the film did get a little bit of attention for for its screenplay. But um, yeah, so like I said, it just, there's just something about this. And really, like I said, it, it really does come back down to everybody being so good at their craft. You know, if this wasn't directed by Michael Mann, if it wasn't... Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise in these roles, I really don't believe the film would have been as good as it was. They all come together to make this this film work. But 
I'd say probably a good, I don't know, 60-70% of the film is just Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise in this cab driving around. So most of the film has to has to be carried by their by their charisma, by their chemistry between the two of them. The the way that, you know, they're very opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, one's one's a, a really like a bad guy and one's a good guy. And they both have a little bit of middle ground. They do share some some personality traits, but really it's it's a case of good versus bad. And uh it's something that Michael Mann is no stranger to. He's 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 delved into that in a lot of his films, you know, going back to like uh, Manhunter, like the the first Hannibal Lecter film, um Heat, which, which is probably one of his most regarded uh, regarded as one of Mann's best films, Heat with uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Um what else did he do? He did uh I, I'll be honest, I didn't see the I didn't see the Ali film, like the Muhammad Ali film they do with Will Smith. I heard that was okay. But um like I really liked what he did with Miami Vice. I mean obviously you know, Michael Mann was part of the Miami Vice project back in the eighties, a TV show, so it made sense he would obviously do the film. I believe it was in 06. And that was with uh it was also with Jamie Foxx again and, and Colin Farrell playing the roles in Miami Vice. But um but yeah, Michael Mann, like especially like I said, if you look at like Manhunter and Heat, those ones have your two typical characters, you're good and you're bad, going up against each other. Um, and in this one, like I said, it it uh, it works really well. And uh, the film is also uh, for, for what's probably a two hour. I'm gonna assume it's a two hour film. Let me look up the really quick here. Yeah, it's exactly 120 minutes. So for a two hour film, too, it's perfectly paced in my opinion. This thing never drags. Uh, you never feel like you know. Let's get to the point and get to the next scene. Like you want to see more. I, if anything, I would want to see like a three hour movie with these characters. If there was more subject material to delve into, but like I said, it's it's so well paced, um, especially in the second half of the film. Like I said, I'm not getting into spoilers, but it really does pick up, and uh, with one of the best one of the best film endings in my opinion. I, I definitely put it in my top ten endings list as well. Uh, the final ten minutes or so of the film are just fantastic, and um, like I said, it's it's. I wonder again. I haven't really delved too far into the how that this film was made or how it was casted, but. I am very curious how Tom Cruise came across this role, like whether he was sought out by Michael Mann, whether his agent just like heard about this and suggested like, it's just something that's it's kind of ever left feel for Tom to do, right? He's usually your typical, he's your Ethan Hunt hero. He's your, your edge of tomorrow, you know, the, the good guy who's going to save the day. Right. And for him to take on this role where again, he's not playing like a, an evil, like sadist or anything. He, he's, he's a, he's a character who does have a little bit of, of a moral compass, but at the same time, he's just a guy who's he's a professional. He's there to do a job, and nothing's going to stop him, right? And he's clearly a, a talented shooter. Like when he kills people in this film, you can tell he's got. There's no. They don't really go into his past too much. I don't know if he has any military background or just something he picked up from years of of doing this kind of work. But he's he's a you know an expert marksman. And every time he kills people, it's like you know two in the chest, one in the forehead, little double tap methods. So he's he's very efficient. <laughs> um. Uh. Oh, and also too, I guess one again, maybe a minor spoiler here, but in towards the second half of the film, there is uh, a particularly uh, awesome <laughs> uh, f- uh, fight slash shootout scene in a in a nightclub that only only that Michael Mann could film it this way. You know, it's it's uh, the camera really gets in close on these these gunfights. Um, you know, they have a shootout in a in a, in a crowded LA nightclub, and uh, there's one thing there's one thing anybody knows about watching a Michael Mann film before, especially if you've seen Heat before, is that. This guy loves to make gunshots sound as realistic and as loud as he can. These are not, you know, little um, blanks or bottle caps being fired off. These are loud weapons, especially if you're being fired in, like I said, indoors in an enclosed area like a nightclub. It's going to be loud and very visceral. Um, 
yeah, like I said, in this film, when people get shot, you really feel it. Like if you're if you have a good sound system, I remember seeing it in theaters. I saw I would have been probably. I think I was still in high school when this came out. Yeah, I would have known it was 17. I remember seeing it in high school in a theater. And uh, when I was in high school, sorry, and I saw it in a movie theater. And uh, yeah, it was it was a super intense movie experience. Like I said, the it was, it was really loud. You know, nowadays when you think loud movies, you probably, for me anyways, I think, you know, Christopher Nolan films were always loud. But back then, you know, over 15 years ago, this was a really intense theater experience as well. And I'm glad, I'm glad I did get to see it in theaters. Because like I said, still good on a home theater setup if you got the proper, you know, set up but it's i think seeing it in theaters was a was a great experience and uh yeah like i said it's, it's one of those films i can i i almost try and make a habit out of watching it every year if i can um i don't have it you know like on an annual calendar per se but you know if i'm ever just sitting there i don't think i've seen it on tv too much not that i'd probably want to watch it on tv because i mean with commercial breaks and, and having to edit for time restrictions the film would definitely lose some of its some of its pacing you know but um, but definitely like if, if I think if I saw it on TV or if I uh, you know came across it on a you know TMN channel or something with no commercials, I would definitely watch it like every time. It's one of those movies I would just sit down and watch no matter where it is in the story. I can watch from start to finish. I can watch it halfway through and just continue on. It's just yeah, it's a special film for me. It's um, uh, and, and another another nice bonus too. Another this was amazing. But uh, um, <clears throat> back in. Uh, 2000 sorry my dates mixed up here back in 2007 um uh sarah actually uh the first year we were together actually we hadn't even named that long to be honest i think it was only maybe a few months but she had actually bought me she went online and she bought a uh like a copy of the uh screenplay for collateral i believe uh i say again i haven't um i know we have it stored away safely somewhere but i know i haven't seen it for a while but i do believe it was signed this copy was signed by uh Michael Mann, and uh, I think there was a certificate of authenticity or something with it. Like I said, I haven't actually pulled it and looked at it for for at least a few years, but I do remember being blown away by by that gesture when she cause she even knew how important that film was to me in the short amount of time we were together at that point. And and uh, I remember when I got that thing too. I, I'm pretty sure I read through that screenplay like the first week or so that she gave it to me. I just I thought to myself, this is so cool because you know I'd never really seen a screenplay up to that point. Um, and I didn't really know, didn't really know exactly what all went into, like you know, seeing all the the notes, you know, director's notes, notes in the margins from the screenwriters and stuff, you know, and just seeing how a seeing how a, a script is actually written from start to finish. You know, it's different than what you expect because they have to write in, you know, obviously setting up where scenes take place, setting up scenes of silent dialogue, like just sort of like getting you from point A to point B, like storyboarding, you know, that kind of thing. It's not all just strictly dialogue you know, between each character back and forth, like you'd read in a novel or something. There's, there's a lot more that goes into a screenplay. So that really opened my eyes to that sort of, that, that part of the business, you know? Um, but yeah, I, uh, like I said, I can gush about this film all day, but I'm not going to spend too much more time on it. I'll just say again, if you haven't seen it already, if you have seen it, then I hope that what I've said also resonates with you, that you feel the same way, hopefully about this film. I mean, if someone hates the film, that's perfectly fine. I don't devalue anyone's opinion of that, but I'd be very curious to know why someone did not like this film. Like, what exactly about it turned you off? You know, was it, did you find it boring? Did you find it... So I guess maybe some parts of the screenplay, some people might find a bit pretentious. There's some parts of the dialogue, especially with Tom Cruise has some monologues where, you know, it, it might, even for me, like as a high school student, some of it kind of flew over my head the first time, but then watching it later on, like I said, I was a bit older, I got to appreciate a little bit more of the the nuance of the screenplay and some of the uh, references that I got over my head the first time as a younger viewer, but it's uh yeah, it's a great film. And it's also a film that 
it needs no I mean obviously you know it's not a type of film that would lend itself to a sequel but I'm saying even if they could make a sequel I, I wouldn't want it it's a perfectly self-contained story you know, fit into fit into a two-hour window. It it really takes place just over, I think, over the course of pretty much one day. And out, like it's not like you know, it doesn't take place over multiple days. It's you know, he picks up Tom Cruise at night, and then the film essentially ends the next morning, I believe. So it's not even a full day really, but over the course of a night is where this movie takes place, right? So it, it, there's definitely a lot of there's some good some good time restrictions in the film where things are constantly moving. You know, there's deadlines to, to look after, and oh, and also too, one of the other things I should touch on briefly. I remember not really knowing who this was when I first saw the film. He wasn't really a big name at the time, but going back and watching the film on on um, on, on other replay on rewatches, uh, I noticed that there's a scene in the second half of the film where Jamie Foxx has to go to a to a different nightclub, not the one where the shootout happens. That happens later in the film. He has to go to a nightclub and meet up with a character that Vincent was was hired by, who was working for. And it's um, I don't know if they say specifically what faction he was working for if it's like Mexican cartel or what kind of cartel the guy works for but he basically has to go into a nightclub Max has to posing as Vincent and try and get some information out of this character uh, and the character in this film the cartel leader kingpin whatever you want to call him uh, is played by Javier Bardem who like I said at the time in 04 wasn't a big name uh, at least not in North America I think he had done a lot of of um, international like uh, um, South American films and stuff but uh he, uh, so he, yeah, he, and obviously anybody now in the last, you know, decade or so would probably know him from like, uh, you know, No Country for Old Men, probably his, his most well-known role for playing the hitman Anton Chigurh. Um, I mean, he's been a lot, you know, he was, he was a villain in Skyfall. He was Silva in Skyfall, but, uh, he's a great actor and he was, he was really good in this. He only has like a five minute role in collateral. Like he has, he has the one scene basically with Jamie Foxx character, but Bardem comes across as super intimidating. Um, but also like an intelligent character, like you're just you're drawn to the screen when he has this little five minute scene with 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 him and, and Max. But uh, he definitely he definitely he makes his presence felt in a very short time on screen, and um, and I could definitely see why if he wasn't already on the radar for most directors and scouts at that point, agents at that point, he was definitely that definitely probably opened his eyes to some other bigger roles he could take on in you know American cinema. So, um. Oh, I'm also trying to forget. I mean, the cast is great in the film. I've already mentioned a few of them, but like also like a supporting cast. You know, you got Jada Pinkett Smith playing a a, a decent sized role. Like she's in the most in the end of the film. She's one of Max's first fairs. They hit it off. They kind of flirt and whatever. And then she comes back into play later on in the film. I won't spoil why. We also got Mark Ruffalo playing a pretty big role. He's uh, he's the cop who ends up at the first crime scene when Vincent kills the first guy that falls on Max's cab. Mark Ruffalo sort of gets drawn into this, trying to figure out why this guy was killed what the what's the bigger picture here he he comes into play there on that nightclub scene as well but um yeah just um like i said it's i'm looking at the numbers here just for like so it's you know it, it was a box office success for sure like 65 million dollar budget which is fair you know considering the cast involved and and uh if you watch the film you'll see where, where most of the budget went but um so 65 million budget made about 220 million so that's a, it's a good um it definitely made a profit you know it was um let's see and also yeah so uh i think the only other the only academy awards that did get nominated for was jamie fox was nominated for best supporting actor and uh there was also it was also nominated for best film editing which i mean definitely agree the editing is great um jamie fox was fantastic i mean honestly in my opinion the fact that tom cruise is not nominated for an oscar here was a crime i mean i know he's been nominated before he's done many good roles 
I mean, I never expect him to get nominated for, you know, the Mission Impossible movies. That's not, he doesn't do those movies for that kind of um, critical acclaim. But, uh, you know, I think this film was really slept on by a lot of critics. It was, it was definitely well received. Like, I think it was, um, you know, if you go, if, if you care about Rotten Tomatoes, you know, it, it got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is obviously a very good rating. But um, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely one of Cruz's best roles. Um, especially, like I said, for it being such a one-off. If you look at his career filmography, this movie stands out as such a black sheep for this role for him to take on. And I really wish he would do more stuff like this, especially now that he's, you know, getting into his late 50s, early 60s. I mean, he can't be doing Mission Impossible forever. Eventually, he's got to settle down into some more dramatic roles. But um, I'd love to see him take on another villain-type role, even if it's something not as as heavy as this was. But, uh, you know. I've, I've touched on this before on many other podcasts. I like when actors step out of their comfort roles, whether it's comedians taking on dramatic roles, um, uh, dramatic actors doing comedies even, you know, vice versa. But, uh, yeah, seeing a character play against type when they're usually the hero, the good guy, the your, your prototypical hero protagonist playing a, a, a villain, <laughs> you know, it always, it really interests me. I, I like seeing that, that other side of actors, so... Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to touch on it. I'm not going to keep going in circles if I talk about this film anymore. So I think I'll just leave it at that for collateral. But uh, kind of got me in the mood to rewatch it again. I know it's not a horror film, so I probably shouldn't watch it in October, but I may just have to squeeze it in. <laughs> uh, but other than that, um, what else can I talk about? Uh, I'm not going really gonna to get any, any, gonna get into any gaming stuff right now because none of that's really changed. So I'm obviously still playing MLB The Show. I mean, I am looking, I'm obviously looking forward to still the new content that comes out, like the new MLB, the ninth inning program starts this Friday. So I'm very excited to see what those new new legend cards will be. But, uh, you know, and Apex is still, it's still Apex. I'm still moving along on that battle pass. I think it's about halfway through the this current, was it season six, Ron? Yeah, season six of Apex Legends, about halfway through. So we have 41 more days left or something like that. Um, you know, I, I told I mentioned this earlier. I, in terms of any gaming news I saw today, I did notice that um, the PlayStation Plus games for October were announced for the the two the two free plus games. Are uh, they're going to be uh, the games for PlayStation Plus in October are going to be Need for Speed Payback, and uh, the other one called I, I believe it's pronounced Vampire. I could be wrong. Vampire, Vampire. I don't know, but. Uh, I heard that one was okay. I think it's I think it's just more based on the. I think it was a disappointment the vampire game, but uh, I know based on the pedigree, like the developers and stuff, people were intrigued when that game came out. But I think there maybe there's some I don't know technical issues, or I'm not sure exactly why it wasn't received well. But uh, you know, if it's a free game, like I, said, I might try it out out of curiosity. Um, but Need for Speed Payback, from what I remember, was an absolute dud. Um, I, I doubt EA's done much to patch it after the fact. I think they probably just put that game out there to kind of die. Um, I mean, the racing felt okay from what I remember. I think it was more just I hated the story. It was terrible. The cutscenes and everything were terrible. I think I think that was the game. I always get the Need for Speed. I know it wasn't the most recent one I think it was called Need for Speed Heat. That one was okay. Need for Speed Payback if I remember correctly. I think that's the game where EA had the bright idea to introduce like this card system where basically you had to upgrade your cars by collecting cards, like doing races and challenges and events and stuff, and you'd use these cards to upgrade your car, but I remember this system being very restrictive and, and very, um, uh, like, just, the game felt like a grind, because to upgrade your cars, you had to get specific cards, or else you couldn't have a better rating to unlock newer events, and it just became very tedious, 
And um, like I said, I doubt they did much to patch that game for post support. But if I'm wrong, I'd be happy to try it out again. But uh, I probably won't waste my time. I got too much other stuff to play. Still need to probably, uh, before the year's over, I should probably go back and finish The Last of Us Part 2. Um, Assassin's Creed 2, I'm about halfway through that. What else? Uh, kind of want to check out that new Animal Crossing. I believe the new Animal Crossing patch came out today. The new uh, the fall update, I guess, for the Halloween stuff. Kind of curious to check that out. Get some Halloween decorations for the for the island. See what that's all about. Um, but, you know, that's... It's... You know, as I've gotten older, I find it just harder to, to balance my time with all the things I want to do. You know, it's it's a it's a weird complaint to have. You know, like twenty or so years ago, I'd say, you know, I was happy with the amount of content that I video game wise that I had to deal with. I felt like I I could manage my time. I was like focusing on a few games, but I just feel like and it's a it's a good problem to have. The fact that there's so much good content out there nowadays there's so many video games whether, whether they're free-to-play games or you know full triple-a games um free games get in in services you know whether it's game pass playstation plus uh you know indie games there's just so many quality video game experiences out there nowadays that it's hard to find time to balance everything there's so many things you want to play and whereas in the past i was very i was very much a uh, a story, a linear story-based kind of guy. I'd love to play. I would love to just play all the Call of Duty games, play the campaigns, start to finish in like a, a couple sittings, then play the multiplayer for a bit. But I was always very much focused on just playing a a single-player game, whether it was six to twenty hours is usually my my range. I don't usually play many RPGs, right? But uh, the nowadays, like I, like I said, I feel like it's it's the type of games I play nowadays, like the MLBs, the Apexes, are just the games where it's you know you're it's one game experience that I'm putting hundreds of hours into because there's just so much content in both those games and then the gameplay loop keeps me coming back. You know, that, that whole carrot on the stick mentality of having something to work towards these new seasons that every, even something like fall guys, which I have a lot of fun with. Like I got, I got up to level 30 the other day. I'm not going to hit, I'm not going to max it out. Cause I think the new season starts next week, but like fall guys, this, for this current season, you know, I got up to level 30 and then the new season, I think I said, if it starts next week, you know, am I going to, put more time into that as well and top the other two games I already have season passes that I'm trying to you know finish it's it's intimidating you know and then I'm trying to watch movies on top of that you know I want to watch Halloween movies I want to watch so many other movies in my backlog on my on my shelf my blu-rays that I still want to watch and it's just you know and then there's stuff on Netflix and Amazon and you just sometimes some days you just want to lay down and be like I don't I don't even know what I want to do <laughs> I just I'm just gonna if I if I, I wish I have a if I could have an app and I had all this stuff on there, I could just roll a dice and say, pick something for me to do today, and I'll just do that. Okay. And then just live my life based on RNG choice. Well, that's what I really do in every other video game I play anyway. So why don't I incorporate that into the rest of my viewing? You know, but I don't know. I laugh when I see my son playing games. Like, now, you know, nowadays, like, he'll, he'll usually play one, one or two games at a time. He's always playing Kirby games on his 3DS or his Switch, or he's playing really into Pokemon right now on the Switch. You know, I like seeing him focusing on those experiences like that, just focusing on one game at a time. But the reality is he could he could, he could jump between a dozen games if he wanted to. He has so many games available on the Switch and his 3DS and on the Xbox and PlayStation, you know, like virtual console. It's just the options nowadays are, are amazing. But sometimes, you know, less is better, right? <laughs> In my opinion. I, I miss the days of just having... Uh, a Super Nintendo or an N64 having one or two games that I would just play for like a month straight and just 
you know, hundred percent those games and just get the most out of those experiences and you know. But it's probably getting older, right? I mean gotta find time when you can. I'd like to, I like to try and think I maximize my time. Like I problem is, you know, I stay up late doing a lot of my watching or playing of, of media and so I go to bed really late and then get up in the morning like a zombie and go to work and it's just it's a cycle that I probably haven't had a proper night's sleep in you know months but <laughs> it's a sacrifice I make just to try and feel like I've accomplished something at the end of the day when I when I sit down night and play a game or watch a movie or, or something right so I miss reading books too I used to read books all the time but um I guess it's just I don't know I with rare exceptions, I can't picture myself just sitting down and reading a novel in like a week anymore. I just, I feel like I'd be too distracted by other things and I would just drag out or not just like I drag out something like The Last of Us 2 for months. I mean, I would probably drag out reading a novel and that's not how I like to do things with books. So having that type of uh, experience as well is something I got to try and find a balance in. But anyway, I'm just ranting at this point. So I don't talk by myself this usually this long. Yeah. Uh, Normally I'd have Sarah here just nodding at me, <laughs> but <laughs> she's not here. So anyway, um, I, I'm probably reaching my time limit here on the podcast. I don't want to drag this on too long. So um, I hope, like I said, you guys enjoyed the podcast today. You know, uh, if you got something out of it, that's great. If you just like hearing me rant for half an hour, that's okay too. Maybe I can just be some white noise for you if you're, you know, running on a treadmill or driving to work or whatever you're doing. You just want to listen to some white noise. Hope I can do that for you. Hopefully, get something. Hopefully, get something informational. Or not informational. I can't even talk right now. Instructional, informative out of my <laughs> rantings. But uh, like I said, if nothing else, if I convince you to go watch Collateral, then I'll consider that success for me. Or if you want to go watch it again, if I convince you to go back and rewatch it, um, then you know, like I said, that's I can never get enough of that film. I can recommend to everybody I want. Uh, everybody, I, I, I luckily, I think I think if I recommend it to people, no one's giving me a negative. Uh, review on it yet no one's come back to me and said I hated that film so I think most people do enjoy it but uh, if it's not for everybody then that's fine too you know it's worth a shot but uh, I'm gonna wrap it up today Uh, so again today is September 30th this was episode 36 and thanks for listening everybody stay safe out there and we'll be back next week okay bye